So I'm going to do it a little bit differently this time. I'm going to say, hello, folks. Welcome to the Meaning Podcast. I hope you're doing well today and you're ready to think about meaning making. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Seth and I are here to lay down some of the meaning. <laughs> we will explain to you what meaning is. <laughs> Absolutely. Here is the answer to meaning. Yep, the beginning and the end of meaning in 12 to 14 minutes. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. Get ready for it. Have we begun? Oh, yeah, we have. Oh. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, whenever you ask me this question, Chris, I... Well, first, hello, everyone. I am really glad to be back in this conversation. So I am eager to explore this. And and whenever you ask me what what kinds of things, I, I think about what... I, it's often generated out of what questions or comments or things that come to me in trying to read patterns. Mm-hmm from various voices and people in different positions at the church, what are they asking me or what am I hearing from them? And what I've been hearing a lot lately is questions about what can be done. So we're in all of these groups and committees and initiatives and boards that are doing imaginative work, who are really thinking about how to broaden the ways that we are the hands, the voices, and the feet of God in the world. And then almost always, there is this pause where somebody will say, well, I I mean, we can't afford to do this. Mm. Or, well, nobody will let us do this. Right. Or, oh, people are going to be upset about this. And my question is always, who? Who are these people that will be upset or who will stop you or who will tell you you can't spend whatever the money is? Who is this? So the question that I'm asking is what are what are these perceived barriers? They might also be real at some point, but we put them up so quickly. Why are what are the perceived barriers to our the work that we are called to do? Oh man. I can really relate to that. Can you? Oh, for sure. How? Well, I mean, I feel like it's I feel like it's almost a sign that you're onto something really important. Oh. You know? That you you try to stop yourself? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> Yeah, like I I I ha- an idea comes to me. An idea that I think, "Oh man, that that feels like something that is really close to like something that I believe in that should be in the world that maybe I've thought, why isn't this in the world? And then I realize a path to it. And almost as soon as that thought comes into my mind, there is some, there's a, there's a voice in my head, there's the inner critic that says exactly the things that you mentioned. Like, do well, you, do you I don't have time for that. I don't have the resources for that. I don't have the skill set for that, whatever it might be. But you right there are putting it back on your own hurdles and your mm. own things. I maybe can't. I might not be able to. But a lot of what I'm hearing is this mysterious them. Ah. It's an outside. The perception is of an 
outside wall that will be erected in front of them. Mm-hmm. Those people will stop me. Yeah. But I don't know who those people are. Mm-hmm. And I, that, so, yes, it's the same idea, but in the situations I'm recounting, are, it's not internal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's somebody else will step in and blow the whistle. Yeah. I think part of it comes out of some real history here, mm. long and short term. I think that there have been practices at in this particular institution in which a body, a group, a committee makes a decision, gets excited, and then somebody, clergy, some other leadership person or people step in and say, oh, no, no, not now. Mm-hmm. I think there is a history of that. And I think that some of this is a, is the response to different perceptions about how our conversations about imagery in two of our four embroideries in Guildhall, how that happened, how it, how it rolled out, or how it proceeded, that some of that is rooted in that. But what's interesting is we're actually in a moment where, where my perception is that the leadership of this church, those who are maybe in the position to stop things, are by and large wanting this kind of work, wanting this kind of imagination, and being okay with things failing as long as we're trying. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of paradox, is we're stuck in a history that our present is not reflecting. Sure. Boy, well, culture change, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it is a culture change that you're talking about. Yes, and we are rooted in other cultures. I mean, as much as it might be true that this moment in time, but it, like, it's a culture change and it's new. There, the Racial Justice Initiative for a while was going, going through a list of, so at the beginning of every meeting, we would have about 45 minutes of, of vulnerable, intense, intent, intentional, that's the word, discussion. And one of the ways we did it was going through the characteristics of white supremacy. And these are things that have been named that in, in a system, in a culture of whiteness, that are sort of the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe. You yourself might not do it, but it's what we do together. Mm-hmm. For and example, one of, one of them is the unwillingness to fail. Everything must be perfect from the first moment. So you plan it down to its second in order to make sure it works, and nothing ever works that perfectly. Never. So then we don't do it. Mm-hmm. So we don't, tr- we don't bring forth, we don't give birth to the idea until we've planned it to such perfection, but that perfection doesn't exist. So we don't ever do it, mm-hmm. which then keeps so much of the status quo in place. Mm. Yeah, that's such a, that I feel like that's just a really powerful example of how white supremacy negatively impacts white communities. Yeah. The inability to to move, you know, for fear of failure, imperfection, 
I mean, it stifles so much. A friend of mine in Chicago wisely said, and I'm not sure if this was hers originally, but I heard her say it, is that white supremacy is a cage that we built for ourselves and that we've spent hundreds of years convincing ourselves that we need it mm-hmm. and that it's good and that it's beautiful, yeah. that this cage is gilded with gold for us, but it's still a cage right? in whatever way. This question also reminds me, I had lunch with uh, a friend of mine who is a clergy person uh, who does a lot of social and racial justice activism in the in in our world and and he was talking about how and he said something like don't this is not a judgment upon you or anything this is really an observation really broadly of which you might fit <laughs> but he said it's always astounding to me how a church that is rooted in the idea of radical change and inclusion and the disciples Jesus is gone. And all of a sudden they have to say, well, what do we do? And they invented it and they failed and they screwed up and they kept trying in order to bring the love of God broadly. Mm -hmm. That we are from that tradition. And yet churches broadly and white churches specifically are so afraid to do it. We will do anything we can. We will throw up as many perceived barriers as we can to never actually live into the tradition that we are rooted in. Mm -hmm. And that's fascinating to me. Yeah. How do we make meaning out of that? How do we make meaning out of being rooted in a tradition that we do not follow or struggle to follow? This is where, for me, the analogy of the body of Christ is really helpful. Tell me. Well, so if you, if in the analogy of the body of Christ, you have each member of a church community bringing different gifts, fulfilling different purposes for the the good of the whole. And I think that there is just an inherent tension in a spiritual community because as you know you have the spiritual half of that <laughs> that two word phrase which is exploration yeah it's it's wading into mystery you're you're dealing with the unknown but then you have community <laughs> which has a large stake in the continued life of this body you know so you yeah. have you know it as a body it has it has an interest in its own survival, in its own maintenance. A- absolutely, yeah. there are just there there are these things that need to happen for a body to continue, you know, living. And so you have, I mean, there's an inherent tension there. I mean, the mystery is like you don't know if if survival is waiting for you in that mystery. And so you know you have these body parts that. Are are that's their gift that they're bringing to the community is having an eye on its survival, but then you ha- also have other parts of the body whose gifts are to wade further and deeper into the mystery, right? And so you have, I mean, it's you know, since all of these parts are doing different things, 
they're all important for the health and vitality of the body, but they're going in completely different directions and at different purposes. Yeah. That's a great analogy for this. It reminds me of one time this summer, my daughter and I were swimming in a lake and out of nowhere, she said, Papi, tell me a story about you mm. or you and mommy. Tell me the story. <laughs> of course, in that moment, no stories have ever existed in my mind at all. <laughs> nothing, nothing came to mind. So luckily, a few minutes later, I remembered. And I told her the story about one time how her mommy and I were whitewater rafting. And my friend was a guide. So it was just three of us in this little boat. Mm. And we were doing the rapids. And then we got to this place where we parked. I believe that's a technical term with a boat. <laughs> and he climbed up on this giant cliff and jumped. He knew from experience and from the other guys that this was a safe place to take that big jump. It was deep enough. Yep. It was angled in the right way. So that I went up and I jumped. And then my wife went up and couldn't. Mm-hmm. And she kept saying, I keep telling my body to do this and it won't. <laughs> I keep telling my body to jump and it that it just it will not she eventually mm. did but that that's sort of like your own body Ugh. is stopping the thing you want to do and it's not even on purpose like she wasn't saying I'm not going to do this she's saying I want to but I can't yeah man exactly and I think we all have had moments like that where mm-hmm. where it's time to jump and how do we do that? And so in that moment, what did it look like for her to move from I want to and I can't to I just did it? Oh. Well, I don't remember exactly. I mean, I wasn't in her head. Sure. It took a lot of support from down below. Mm-hmm. From the Seths. My friend was also named Seth. So there's a lot of Seths shouting encouragement and support and, and saying... You can do it. And part of it was the way to get to the top of the rock, it was really hard to get back down. It was actually almost uh-huh. more dangerous uh-huh. to climb down mm. than it was to jump. Uh-huh. And so there was a lot of encouragement and a lot of telling her you could do this. And somehow that that barrier, that perceived barrier, whatever it might be, gave way. And yeah. Her, and her legs launched. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that translates so beautifully to our communal experience, I think. I, I mean, there, yeah. there, is, there is a space that is sometimes needed, you know, for, for more parts of the body to, to like, take a breath, to, to, to gain strength through encouragement from others. And to listen to it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's there. We just have to be willing to hear it. Yeah, and, and, you know, to, to maybe heed the examples of people who have blazed the trail before, we can see that this thing that we're contemplating doing has happened for somebody else and they haven't died. They haven't, you know, the, 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 the epic fail hasn't happened. Or it has and they were okay. Yeah, sure. Which I think is even maybe more mm. important. Totally. To see the failure and to know that the failure does not mean destruction. Mm-hmm. The failure just means try again. Yeah. Yeah. 
And somehow in that space, then the mystery that seemed so frightening, then there's more willingness at least to, to step in. Maybe we need to see more failures. Maybe in order to make meaning out of this, we need to be witness to more failures and tries agains. Again, Maybe. a technical term. If we can, because we are very good as a society of proclaiming our successes. Yeah. We've done this really well. Mm-hmm. But we rarely talk about how we got to it and the, the big stumble that happened to get there or the, the resistance that did appear that was overcome. Maybe it's not that we need to see successes, but we need to be witness to failures and that the failure didn't mean death. Yeah. You yeah, can for screw sure. up and, and be okay. Well, and then there's a recontextualizing or redefinition of what failure is as well. You know, I mean, I think, I think of like, especially in our context, like, you know, you plan a thing and, you know, you're expecting 50 people to show up and three show up. You know, yeah. I think that that is popularly perceived as a failure. Yeah. Right? And especially if it happens like five times right. and you know, you're still getting three people. But I mean, what's actually happening in that process? Like, is it a failure? Is there, are there things that are being learned? Has it transformed the three people that are there? What's happening in that space? And those are such important questions. It also makes me think of, in terms of the way that we, in our human-made society, define things, Jesus failed. Mm -hmm. He built this movement and then got himself killed. Mm-hmm. And now there's lots of other ways to approach that and to find meaning in it and to to even argue against it. But in one definition of what is success, Jesus' movement failed. Absolutely. He, he died. Right. And, and then, we have spent 2,000 years learning from that failure, making meaning out of that quote-unquote failure yeah. to, to figure out what... what that means what do we do with that which makes it extra ironic (laughs) right the difficulties that we have now of potentially failing i feel as if this community is bouncing on the end of a diving board and maybe i've used that analogy before i don't remember we're just bouncing we've taken the big bold steps to get on the diving board. We've mm. taken the steps to get to the end to kind of put our curl our toes around the end and look down. Yeah. And we're bouncing. What does it mean to jump? What do we need to do to this body, these many members, this body of of the community, the spiritual community, to convince the legs to spring, the brain to say okay, the arms to go? Because we don't know what's in this pool. Yeah. It might be empty. Oh, man. It might be full of piranhas. It might be. It might be full of pudding, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> <laughs> a delicious way to drown. Uh, yeah, we don't know what is this pool. How do you then 
continue the through the perceived barriers yeah to continue to build the new so one day you can feel comfortable to make that leap well you know i think of i think of what duane has been talking a lot about this year with the enduring wisdom yeah what 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 is the enduring wisdom that our tradition suggests to us and i mean for me it it is you know that we cannot go where God is not. The idea that, you know, we, we do not know what that firm footing is. Like, we dive and we find pudding. <laughs> right. Well, we need to know that it's pudding in order to make meaning and, like, make our way forward. Yeah. You know, it's, it, we, we cannot make the meaning without first contact, making contact with the mystery, without wrestling with that. Yeah, you cannot make meaning out of somebody's death until they die. Mm-hmm. You can't make meaning out of somebody's birth until they're born. Mm-hmm. It has to happen. It has to happen. And then the work is... We put all the work... It, it's almost as going back to the characteristics we were talking about earlier. It's almost as if we're trying to make meaning out of a thing before it happens. Mm-hmm. That is our cultural way right. of doing it. We're trying to build the thing before we know what it is. Yeah. Build the airplane while we're flying. Whereas instead we should, I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, I wonder if we build the thing and then we figure out what it is. We Mm. make meaning out of after it's been created. Let's take that risk. If this board wants to try something crazy, go for it. Do it planfully, do it thoughtfully, do it intentionally, but go for it. And if three people show up, make meaning out of that. Yeah. Don't make meaning out of the possibility that only three people will show up. Because that's, that's anxiety. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, for all of the moments of indecisiveness that, you know, this community has had, it has also done some really courageous and hard things in its, in its history. Correct. And, and has, has brought incredible things into the world by virtue of being open to the spirit. Yes. And being open to how the gifts that specifically we have to, to offer to the world can be of service. And when, man, when that happens, like, we are powerful. There's a lot of institutions, churches, groups, people that haven't left the pool house. So true. That are, are never going to get in the pool by mm. any means, let alone jumping. Here we are bouncing on the end of the diving board. Yeah. That is impressive. And even if we bounce for a little bit longer, we got to that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that it is both an... In, I feel like maybe part of what my role is here or our role as clergy is both to say, we got to the end of this diving board. Now we, it's okay. Yeah. We can jump together. Mm-hmm. You're going to be okay. You got this far. And that's what we can do together is continue to say, we can do this together. I don't know if we have a choice. I mean, we do. We could choose to leave the diving board. Mm-hmm. We could go back to the pool house. But that feels to me a, akin to deciding to die. That's not who we are right now. Mm-mm. No. We would have done it already if that's where we were going. We may be bouncers. 
<laughs> but we are not dyers. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. This is always delightful. And friends who are listening, I encourage you to have this conversation with Chris. I encourage you to sit down and go on this adventure with him. It is really meaningful to talk about meaning and mm. to, to do this together. Yeah, hit me up. Friends, I hope this episode got some new thoughts brewing. Maybe even suggested a few new shades of meaning in your own world. As Seth mentioned, I am more than happy to hear your feedback and your ideas for future episodes. You can reach me at meaning at Plymouth.org. And if you're a Plymouth Church person, consider joining us Sundays at 10 a.m. We discuss a podcast episode every third Sunday of the month. Thanks to Jimmy Hulse for our theme and to Max Brunel for additional music. Meaning is a production of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis.